said, my name is Waz. Uh, my name is Chris Waz. Like you can call me Waz. <coughs> and I have the privilege of bringing the word and continuing uh, our study in the book of John, where we've been looking at the I am uh, statements that Jesus makes. Um, so the other day, I was doing what I tend to do when I'm driving. I was looking through Instagram. Um, and and I, w- I was looking at some of the pictures from uh, some friends from my life group. Uh, and they, they went to this cruise in the Caribbean. And man, those pictures, there was like the beautiful beaches, the cruise activities, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it just reminded me of my honeymoon. Right? So if you want a picture of the good life, like I think basically everything that happens like on a honeymoon. Right? And I say that for various reasons, some which you can probably uh, imagine. Um, talking about food. Food, we had an all-inclusive like package for our honeymoon, um, which meant all the food was included, all the drinks were included. And the best part about this all-inclusive package was that there was like a sushi place, there was like an Argentinian steakhouse, which was like, oh man, it was so good. Um, so it was like unlimited, unlimited steak. So it was like filet mignon, great, bring me another one, another one, another one. I felt like DJ Khaled, I was like, another one. Right? It's like, they don't want me to have another one. They don't. Um, but I did it. I did it. I, I had another one. And a bigger one of that. Um, anyway, so, um, so it's obviously like the good life is more than just like eating steak. Um, there's the fact that like you're, you can wake up whenever you want. Like you had, we had the beach like a few steps uh, from our beds. Um, you don't have to cook your food. You don't have to make your bed, right? You don't have to clean the dishes. It's like, man, some of you in here are like, is that what life is going to be like? Like, mom's not going to do that for me for the rest of my life? No. Next time you have that will probably be when you go on vacation somewhere. Um, Anyway, so that sort of kind of is a picture of what a lot of people think the good life is. You know, like laying on a beach somewhere, getting pampered, eating good food, all that sort of stuff. Um, But is that the picture of a good life that the Bible paints? Right? And if not, what is the good life, according to the Bible? Right? And I don't know if you've ever given much thought to this sort of thing, um, but the fact is that, that your goals for the future are going to determine your decisions for today. So that's why it's important to start, at the very least, to start processing these sort of things and start thinking um, about this sort of stuff. So hopefully at the end of the night, um, at the very least this sort of question, like, what is a good life? Like, what am I aiming for? Um, We'll be at the forefront of your mind. Um, Before we start, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, um, we just echo those words of that last song that we sang, Lord, um, that says that, Jesus, we love you. That we want to love you more. We want to love you, so we want to listen to what you have to say to us. Lord, we want to be open to what your word is putting on our hearts tonight, God. We want to be open to how you're challenging us to love you more and to love the things of this world uh, less. Lord, so I pray that through your message, God, through your word, that you would become greater in our eyes and that we would just grow in love with you and hopefully walk away with a little bit more Jesus than we came with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um... Over the last few weeks, we've been in the book of John. We've been looking at uh, what scholars call the I am statements. 
And these are basically statements where Jesus says, I am, and then fill in the blank. Uh, but these aren't just like any like regular sort of I am statements. They're not like Jesus is like, I am hungry, or I am tired. These are like specific, like these are revealing things about his identity, who he is, what he's like. And in a really important sense, they're revealing that his identity is tied up with Yahweh, with God from the Old Testament. Um, so we've been looking at these. And we, we looked um, a few weeks ago, uh, or actually last week, Andy Otis was here, and he talked about when Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Uh, the week before that, Kelly spoke about how Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And today we're going to look uh, at another one. And I'm not going to lie, this passage that we're going to look at tonight is kind of long. Actually, it's really long. Um, so as we read this passage, I want you to keep in mind two questions. Right, two questions. What is a good life, and how do I get it? Right, those are the two questions. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 6, starting at verse 25. 625. Cool. So, um, so basically, here's the scene. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. It was probably more than 5,000, because that 5,000 only includes... Uh, the men, so there's probably women there, children there. It's probably closer to up to ten to fifteen thousand. But Jesus just fed a bunch of people, so there's all his fish, there's all these loaves, right? And and he flees the scene immediately after. He doesn't like stick around and just like bask in like everybody's praise of him. He flees the scene because he knows that the crowd is about to probably want to crown him king. They're probably going to declare him some sort of political revolutionary. So he just like books it out of there. Uh, and he miraculously makes his way across the lake, or the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Right, so Jesus here, he calls him out. He points out the fact that their motives aren't so pure. They're not pursuing Jesus because they love him. Right? They're running after him because of what he has to offer to them. Right? They want something from him. They're pursuing the gifts and not the giver of the gifts, which is something that's really easy for us to fall into as well. So he calls them out on these sort of screwed up motives. Uh, and he says, instead of, uh, of having these motives, here's what you should actually be looking for. Verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So naturally, they're like, well, what kind of works do we have to do to get that food? And Jesus is like, no, no, like, you don't, it's not about doing works, it's, it's about believing. The only thing that you need to do is believe. Right? And they think, well, like, believe in you? Like, why, like, why should we believe in you? First, you should prove the fact that we should put our trust in who you are. You should do something awesome. Basically, something that will make us believe. Verse uh, 30. So they asked him, What miraculous sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So what are they talking about here? Basically, they're referring to the story in Exodus 16 where Israel is out in the desert and they're grumbling because back in Egypt when they were, conveniently they forgot, back when they were slaves, supposedly they had really good food. And now they're in the desert and now they don't really have awesome things to eat. Uh, and they're grumbling 
and they take this complaint to Moses that their food in the desert sucks, and they say, why has God brought us out here to starve to death? Right? After God had done all this to deliver them, the parting the Red Sea, the plagues, all that stuff, they're like, why did you bring us out here to die? So God basically decides to, to give in. He, he feeds them. He gives in their complaining. Right? And he gives them this thing called manna, which is this bread sort of stuff. Uh, and basically, God gives them this bread, this manna, six days a week for the next 40 years. It's a lot of bread. Um, so, so what they're looking for is some guy who can basically top this miracle. Right? Somebody who, who's going to top Moses. Somebody who's even greater than Moses. So what were they really after? Well, what they're really after, actually, you see it in the story right before, and it says that when they saw the miraculous sign, um, the people started to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain. So what are they after? They want him to be king. They want him to be this sort of leader. Right? And it's not, it's not as if they want him for his sake. They want him for what he can do for them. Right? They want him to give in to their agenda. It's like, oh, let's see what he can do for us. Right? What do they want? They want a new Moses, somebody who's going to deliver them from Pharaoh. But in this case, it's not Pharaoh. In this case, it's the Caesar of Rome. Right? They want a new David, somebody who's going to bring Israel back to the glory days. Right? Somebody who's going to establish king, the kingdom again. Somebody who's going to make Israel great again. So they want this bread, right? Kind of literally, but also figuratively. This bread was more a vision of their life, of what they wanted, right? And Jesus responds to them, and he's like, basically, you guys have got this thing wrong. Like, you're looking for the wrong bread. You guys are short-sighted. What you should be looking for is actually something different. Right, because this bread of renewed Israel, of powerful Israel, this bread doesn't actually bring life. So they ask him, like, okay, then, what should we be looking for? Verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And at this, they kind of start getting upset, because they're like, bread of life, like, what do you mean, bread of life? Later on, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life that comes from heaven. They're like, comes from heaven? Like, we know where you're from. You're from Nazareth. Like, comes from heaven. More like comes from the backwoods, middle of nowhere, kind of dumpy town, Nazareth, not heaven. Right? And they, they, they begin to get upset, uh, and he knows that they don't believe him, so he kind of just pushes them even more. He prods at them. Uh, verse 48. And, he, uh, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And this just gets them even more upset. So you kind of see the pattern. Jesus is kind of pushing them. They're getting angry. They don't like what he's saying. He's challenging them, right? And now Jesus is like, I am the bread, and you have to eat my flesh. Verse uh, 53. 
Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And you've got to know there's this like one dude who takes things too literally, and he's just kind of thinking, he's like, eat his flesh and drink his blood? Oh, well. Um, Jesus has to, like, stop him. Um, like, force push him. Um, I don't know. Anyway, so, um, so Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. So again, this just gets people really upset. Because just on, on appearance, it sounds like he's advocating for some kind of cannibalism. It's like, literally, eat my flesh. Right? And to any, this is really offensive to Jews. Actually, it's kind of really offensive to anybody. Um, it sounds like he's asking them to be cannibals, which is straight up against Old Testament law. Uh, but more than that, he's asking them to drink blood, which for Jews, like, this would be associated with all sorts of pagan rituals. Right? And more than that, in God's law, uh, there's this commandment that you're not supposed to even drink the blood or eat the blood of animals. Right? Because in, in the blood, that's where life was. So it's like you wouldn't find a Jew ordering a rare steak. Right? It's always well done. Always. Um, so, so how do they react to that? Because Jesus is telling them, like, do these things which you know you're not supposed to do. Verse 66. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Everyone's upset. People just start leaving. Partly because of the whole cannibalism sort of stuff um, that they're taking to literally, right? But more so, it's because Jesus is painting this picture of what life should look like. And it's not a picture that they share. He's painting a vision of what really matters in life. He's painting a picture of the good life. And they have a completely different idea of what God should be doing for them in their life. You could say that there's a conflict between God's vision for their life and their own vision for their life. That just makes them upset, so they leave. There's another reaction, though. Verse 67. And this is Peter. He says, you do not want... Oh, this is Jesus asking. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter responded, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the exact opposite of how the first group reacts. Right? Peter knows you can't top what Jesus is offering. So he boldly says, we're not leaving. We literally have nowhere else to go. There is not hope or satisfaction anywhere else besides in you. All right, so that's their passage for tonight. And there's a lot of sort of tr- really tricky stuff in here, um, especially in the verses that we didn't have time to cover uh, today. But there's also some really practical sort of things uh, that we, we started to touch upon. And it all revolves around this one question. And the question is, what is your bread? What's your bread? <clears throat> here we see a crowd hungry for bread. In one sense, they literally want bread. But in another sense, they want something more. They're looking for the good old days. They're, they're looking for the days when, um, when God's appointed king was on the throne instead of a pagan ruler, right? They wanted those days when Israel was free from having to pay taxes to Rome, uh, when, when the king really ruled as king and he wasn't some sort of 
puppet king. Uh, they, they wanted the good old days when the nation was expanding and growing and they didn't have to worry about foreigners and they didn't have to pay their taxes to some far off land uh, and their military was strong and their country was rich. And why did they want all those things? It's because in their mind, that's what the good life consisted of. It was a golden age for them. When Israel was basically on top. Right? And when people were religious and people were actually following God's law and Israel was powerful. Now, now for us, like, we might not actually like, seek that sort of thing. That might not be like, our temptation or our vision of the good life. You know, like political power or like a Christian America. Right? <clears throat> but we all have this sort of bread that we're looking for, even if it might be different than the one that they were looking for. Right? All of us have a vision of what life should be like. Right? And for some of us here, that's nostalgic. Like Israel, we look back to some part in our life and we think of those days as the good old days. Right? I don't know when it was for you. Maybe it was like when you were five years old and like you just play with your toys and um, have snack time with like your goldfish. And, um, you didn't have to worry about anything in life. Right? Or maybe it was high school. Maybe you were one of those rare people that high school was like the best time of your life, right? Like you were the man or the woman in high school, right? You were smart, you were an athlete, you were popular, um, whatever. Your parents gave you money to go out. You didn't even have to worry about paying for anything. Um, those were the great days for some of you, right? Uh, for most of us, it's probably more like a nightmare, right? High school, there were like pimples, papers to write, when the uh, teacher calls on you to read out loud and your voice cracks a little bit. Um, it's, it's bad, right? And then there's the pressure of dating, right? Asking someone out, like you want to be like smooth, right? But like not too smooth because too smooth is kind of creepy. Um, it's like you put on your like Marvin Gaye voice and it's like, hey girl, what are you doing? Um, I don't know why I did that to Kelly. I could have just done it. I could have just done it to my wife. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So you decide to like actually go through with it, and like there's all that pressure, and it's like you're freaking out on the inside about doing it, and um, you like ask her, it's like, hey, like you're like really ambiguous because you can't like find the guts to actually ask him out on a date you're like oh by the way are you doing anything this weekend um just call it a day right and so like are you doing anything this weekend and um she's like oh sorry like i can't like uh i have to hang out with my boyfriend you're like oh oh me, me too me too no that's not like that's not what i mean um that's like when your server asks you like um how's your food and it's like oh it's good like how's yours it's like awkward moments. Um, anyway, so, uh, so back to like the bread stuff. Oh, no, no what I was saying is um, for some of us, um, the past was more of like a nightmare, right? Um, it wasn't like a dream life. Like the past was a nightmare. Uh, and maybe our, your vision of the good life is actually something in the future, something uh, you're pursuing, looking forward to, not something that's like in the past, right? Maybe it's like a specific job that you're looking for that you think is like, once I just get this job, like my life is going to be set, or um, it's a certain lifestyle that you want to live, you know, just hanging out, coffee shops, going to shows and stuff, traveling. Maybe it's being in a relationship, finding um, that perfect lady in your life, um, or finding uh, the man of your dreams who just meets every, like, aspect of your checklist. Um, 
Some of you ladies are in here waiting for Boaz to show up. Um, that's actually really a problem, though. Um, mainly because, um, like Boaz, most dudes are kind of boneheads. Like, they don't get, like, the point. Like, ladies, I'm just telling you, you don't want a man. You don't want to date a man who you kind of have to, like, give a foot massage to even pay attention to you, right? Because, um, like, he needs that to get the hint, Right? Um, you don't want a guy that, yeah, um, he needs the hint, right? Guys need the hint sometimes. Um, so bread, all sorts of bread, relationships, um, family, careers, all kinds of things, right? Um, yeah, we uh, make all sorts of things bread. Me, personally, uh, I'm tempted to make, to, for my bread uh, to be sort of like a, I don't know, a really boring life, um, by that, I mean, like, just sort of a regular old uh, American dream sort of life, where it's just like, you do a job you really enjoy during the week, and uh, weekends are just for hanging out, right? And, and that's the next 70 years of my life. Um, nice family, nice house, go on vacation sometimes, eat good, good food, nothing like crazy over-the-top sort of dream life. Um, and there's nothing necessarily wrong uh, with that. Um, but is that sort of the right kind of bread that you want to like live on? Right? Um, basically, the core question is, if you look at your life and, and you could take Jesus out of your life and have the same picture of a good life, then that's not actually a really good life. Um, I'm just going to repeat that. If you took Jesus out of your life and you still had the same dreams and vision for your life, then that's not actually the good life. Um, Because according to Jesus, life, like real life, only comes when you're with him. He only offers the bread that lasts. So all of us have have these visions of what the good life is. I think the question is, what really is it? What really is the good life? We're talking about all kinds of things that the good life is not, but what is it? Um, Jesus says, these things obviously are not it, because these things perish, these things don't last, right? Popularity doesn't last, friendships don't last, experiences like bomb lattes and avocado toast don't last, right? I mean, they'll stay on your Instagram forever, um, until people stop using Instagram, and it goes by way of MySpace, it's going to happen one day. Um, You can go back on, probably none of you are old enough to have a MySpace, I'm guessing, Probably. Um, Did you know if you go on there, most of your pictures are deleted? Crazy. Um, Anyway, best... So, like, so none of that stuff. Like, even relationships don't last. Right? Either somebody leaves or somebody dies. Right? Or or maybe both of you just die at the same exact moment. Um, Which is kind of like the notebook. It's like, why are you guys like, oh, my God, that's so weird. It's like when you saw it on notebook, everybody thought it was all romantic and stuff. Uh, now it's just like weird. Um, anyway, that's cheesy. Cheesy sort of, you don't want to die at the same time. That's weird. Um, anyway, these visions of the good life, like none of these things actually last. They don't actually last. Um, they don't actually satisfy. Right? But once you actually find the right thing that satisfies, like that's good. And Jesus says that he is that one thing. Right? So, so what does it look like 
to have that good life that Jesus offers. Um, there's another question. What is the good life? Well, we get a glimpse of that in verse 56. Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Remains in me and I in him. According to Jesus, the good life, the life that satisfies, consists of abiding in him. Uh, and that really shows up in a really strong way um, when Jesus talks about how he is the vine. But you sort of see it here um, as well. Basically, the good life consists of sharing life with Jesus, doing life alongside of him, taking part in his movement and what he's doing in this world, knowing him, and also being known by him. It means you have this intimate relationship uh, of Jesus in you and you in him. And once you experience that kind of life and the life that flows out of just being so intimately united with him, he says you're not going to be thirsty anymore. Right? You're not going to be that guy that's thirsty for, for that job or that dream life. Right? Because you actually have what actually satisfies. Right? So how do you get that? Well, Jesus says one thing you have to do. Eat me. Right? Which is really weird. Like... <clears throat> Sounds weird. Um, it, it's this metaphor, right? This metaphor of, of eating food. So yesterday I ran a 10K, um, and, and basically all week long, um, yeah, all week long, uh, all week long I've been eating carbs, um, you know, to like fuel up and like get, get the energy and stuff for the race. Um, in real talk, I'm always eating carbs anyway. Uh, now I actually had a legit excuse to eat the carbs. Um, uh, so, so why the carbs, right? It's because delicious. They're delicious. That's why the carbs. No, it's because uh, carbs are, are fuel, right? They're sustenance, right? They're, they're what keeps you going. They're the thing that gives you that energy, that propel you forward. And Jesus says, I am the carbs of life, right? Because he sustains you. Um, delicious, nutritious, um, Jesus is delicious and nutritious. Okay, so he keeps you alive, right? He keeps you going. He keeps you moving forward. Without him, you'd be, like, all weak and, like, tired. Um, without feeding on him, you're not going to have strength to resist temptation. Uh, without him, you're not going to have the willpower that you need to overcome obstacles. Basically, like, a, a runner who, like, gets gassed right at the beginning of a race, you're not going to be able to run the race because you don't have the energy you need to sustain you. That's why you constantly need to be feeding on him. More than that, um, it's a really cheesy saying, but in a sense it's true. You are what you eat. You are what you eat, right? Which in my case, like, I am pizza and caffeine. Uh, and on Sundays, I am several donuts. Um, you know, now that they have, like, two... I was thinking about this this morning. Now that they have, like, two donut places, like, at church, like, I can go up to, like, the one over there and grab a donut and then come to the summit and also grab a donut. Um, and I don't feel bad because nobody's judging me because they don't know I had two donuts. Um, so, yeah, so um, the reason I say that, um, why am I saying that, um, is because... Um, yeah, it's really true. Uh, so when your body takes these things in, uh, it digests them, and, and they really, in a sense, uh, become a part of you. Like, your body literally takes the nutrients um, or the bad stuff 
Um, and, and it becomes a part of who you are. Uh, and in a sense, Jesus is like that too, right? Like, you feed on him, and he becomes a part of you, right? Your mind begins to change. Your behavior starts to change. Your desires and the way you treat people start to become more and more like Jesus when you're consistently feeding on him. You really start to be a different person, right? So you feed on Jesus to get sustained. You feed on Jesus to become uh, more and more like him. And that's the start of what the good life looks like. And most simply, Jesus says, in order to get the good life, all you have to really do is believe in me. That's it, believe in me. It's it's not about the sort of long process of these works that you need to do. Um, It's not something you can make happen. You can't just make the good life happen. Like, all you need to do is just let go and believe in him. So he puts it out there very plainly. You have a choice to make. And there's only two choices you can make. (coughs) You see it very clearly in this passage. On the one hand, there's some people who hear Jesus and sees how he, he challenges their vision for their life, and they just ditch him. Right? And it makes sense. Like, well, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but it sort of makes sense in the fact that when Jesus asks you to let go of a vision for your life that you hold very near and dear to your heart, and he says, stop just pursuing that, you're going to have a decision to make. Like, what's more important? This thing that you've desired and is so part of who you are? Or is it going to be the kind of life that Jesus promises? Right? And that's what he did to this crowd. Right? He asked them to let go of their vision of this sort of militaristic sort of king who's going to restore Israel who existed to give them bread, who existed to give them back power, who existed to, to be a better Moses, to kick the Romans out, and to bring them riches again. And he says, you have to let go of this vision where God exists to serve you and your dreams. Right? And, he, and he says that to us. He says, let go of your vision for, for your life that revolves around you, that revolves around your future job, that revolves around uh, your boyfriend or your education basically says, if you're going to use me, this is what he says to them, and I think it's what he's saying to us, if you're going to use me to fulfill, as a tool, to fulfill your own dreams, then just walk away. That's harsh, but that's that's what Jesus is doing here. So you're faced with a decision. You can hold on to your own vision of the good life, or you can cling to Jesus. So like about a, a year and a half ago now, um, I was faced with one of those sort of decisions. Um, and I've talked about this before. Uh, but basically, I was offered an opportunity to go study uh, in, in Europe, um, one of the best uh, schools uh, in my field of study. Um, and, and there was nothing wrong with that. The thing that was wrong with it was how I started to see it as a ticket to my vision of the good life. It was a ticket to a certain kind of future, certain kind of jobs that I could potentially get at like uh, top-tier universities, teaching the dream school, making a decent wage because professors do not make a lot of money, contrary to what you may think. Um, provide a certain kind of lifestyle for my family. Um, yeah, basically the good life consisted of this particular vision that would be fulfilled if I just got this thing. Right? I was, at the same time, I was offered uh, an opportunity to study locally, 
And um, that seemed like a good life too, in like a different sort of sense, because I could stay here, um, I could raise my daughter in such a way where she would just really intimately know her grandparents and wouldn't just know them from a distance. Um, it would, it's what would have been most comfortable for my family. And hey, like, it's SoCal. Like, weather would just top anywhere else I could go to study. Um, so this was like a sort of family-first vision of the good life. So I, in my mind, I was sort of in this bind, right? Um, sort of vision of sort of a prestigious, like, education, vision of, like, family sort of stuff, a certain kind of uh, lifestyle for my family. And instead of feeling like a win-win situation, which it could have felt like a win-win situation, it kind of felt like a lose-lose situation. Because um, either way, whatever I chose, I was missing out on the other option. Um, I was missing out on the good life. At least that's what it felt like, right? Um, but actually not, because in reality, none of those were actually the good life, right? They're, they're both uh, good things um, in some sense, but if I treated them as sort of like my ticket, like, I would miss out, right? The second I start to lose track of the fact that the good life comes from Jesus and not from attaining certain things or having a certain lifestyle, that's the second that letting go of my vision for my life starts to hurt. Right? But keeping in mind that the good life only comes through Jesus, letting go of those things don't really matter as much because those things aren't really like earth-shaking. Right? They're not really satisfying. They're not going to fill me because I've found the one who promises to fill me even when I choose to let go of certain things. And the scary thing with all of this, though, and this is just sort of an example of that, is that it's really easy to make a decision to ditch the vision that Jesus has for you for your own vision and not even notice you're doing it. I think that's the hardest part because most of these kinds of decisions are not made in sort of one moment. Right? They're a slow process. They're a bunch of really small decisions that you take to find satisfaction in one thing, then another, then another, instead of looking at Jesus. It's a temptation to ignore God's uh, wisdom and maybe your community's wisdom and pursue dating that girl that you know is not a Christian and you shouldn't be dating. right? Because you think she's going to satisfy your thirst. Next thing you know, right? Like you're slowly losing your hunger for Jesus that you had. right? Or your temptation is to uh, join a certain social group that you know is not going to actually help your pursuit of Christ but you think you want that because that's an in somehow for something else, right? To the point where your relationship with him all of a sudden slowly, slowly is a key word, doesn't feel the same over time anymore. Right? It's a slow drift. It's a, and that's probably the most dangerous kind of drift. It's not this instantaneous, you notice it all of a sudden. A lot of times you don't notice that it's happening until um, it's already happened. All right, so there's a second group in this passage. Right? There are the people who hear Jesus say, let go of your vision for your life. And those people will say like, yep, okay, letting go. Like it's the obvious choice. Right? It's like, here's some Burger King, right? Or some In-N-Out, right? Which do you choose? Is that even a question? Burger King all day. No, I'm kidding. Um, chicken fingers are 99 cents. Um, no, uh, it's, there's only one option, right? You choose the in and out, right? 
And in this passage, that's what Peter's doing. For Peter, it's like not even an option. It's not even a question. You don't even entertain this other sort of thing. And, and Peter's response in this passage, like, just blows my mind. Like, every time I read it, especially as I was meditating on it this week, like, just feel all the feels. Um, Peter, here's what Peter says to them. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Other translations say, you alone have the words of eternal life. Right? There's something that Peter just really gets. You alone, no one else, nothing else. And I know what that's like. Like There have been seasons in my life where I've sort of pursued my own thing, where I've um, tried to find satisfaction uh, in all sorts of things. And then you sort of hit that moment where you're at the end of your rope, right? And you sort of realize, like, where else can I go? Like, there's nothing else. Like, I am at the end of my rope. Like, I've done everything, tried everything, tried to find satisfaction in all sorts of things, and nothing. Jesus alone... That's what Peter is saying. Right? And here's the good news. He offers it freely. You don't have to do anything crazy. All you have to do is believe, which is really simple, but it's not easy. Right? It's simple, but it's not easy. All you have to do is believe. So when faced with competing visions of the good life, what are you going to choose? Some of you in here, um, Some of you in here know that you've been choosing the wrong one. Or maybe you know that you've been using God as a tool to fulfill your own vision in life. Um, others of you in here have tasted the good life. And right now, like, you're living off of that, right? And, and you want more. Like, you want more abiding. You want more contentment. You want more uh, to be more lined up with his will for your life. And for both groups of those people, people who are not feeding on Jesus right now, and the people who are hungry for more, Getting the good life, or getting more of Jesus, as we say around here, is as simple as just believing and confessing that Jesus is the bread of life. And one symbolic way that we do that um, is literally eating bread and drinking uh, the fruit of the vine. It's a sort of symbolic decision that we take to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's a symbolic confession uh, that he alone can satisfy our hunger and our thirst. So right now, uh, we're actually going to go into a time of communion uh, where we sort of, we, we get to act that out. We get to act the fact um, that we want to feed on Jesus, that we acknowledge that he is the one who gives us life. Um, so as uh, the band comes up, um, I'm going to invite you guys soon uh, to go to the back. Like, we have two tables in the back with um, with the communion elements, um, and you can choose either either table. Um, one has bread, the other one has uh, the grape juice, so that you can dip in. Um, but anyway, so so what I want you guys, what I want to invite you guys to do is uh, just take this time as a time of reflection. Maybe it's going to be a time for you where you confess um, that you haven't been feeding on Jesus as you should, and you've been feeding on other bread. Uh, maybe it's a time where you say and you acknowledge that you want more. You want to be more sustained by him. You want to abide uh, more in him. But either way, um, I'd invite you to take this time as an opportunity to reflect 
on the fact that Jesus gave his life uh, for you in order that you may live and really have a good life. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you um, for the sacrifice of your son, God, for, for how you let your son lose his life so that we may have life. Lord, I pray that uh, during this time of communion that you would just meet us in a, in, a, in a deep way, God, where we sense the fact that we can't go anywhere else, that you alone are life, God, that you alone offer us what we need to live. So, Father God, I pray that, that, that right now, God, and this week, God, and even for the rest of our lives, that we would be marked as people who acknowledged you and you alone as the bread of life. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.